Ladies, we have a question for you. What are you doing on Friday 15th of March to Sunday the 17th of March? I'm really hoping you can join Lorraine and I for a very special weekend getaway to rest, rejuvenate and re-energise at the beautiful Samaritz Hotel on the North Cornish coast. Yes, we are kicking off our Postcards from Midlife Events programme for 2024 with this intimate and bespoke midlife retreat. It's our first ever one, which Trish and I have put together with our friends at the luxury Cornish Hotel Samaritz. One of my favourite places to stay when I'm home in Cornwall, thanks to the beautiful wild spa and gorgeous rooms and its minutes from the beach. As well as cold water swimming experiences and friendship walks with us along the beautiful coast, you'll enjoy relaxing classes and sound bathing. You'll also be inspired by our workshops, including breath work to calm the midlife nervous system and mindful cooking with local chef Emily Scott. And you'll even take part in a special podcast recording with best-selling local author Cathy Rensenbrink talking about her book, How to Feel Better. Your stay includes all of this, as well as two nights accommodation, breakfast, lunches, and a two-course evening dinner too. To find out more and book your place, just go to samaritzhotel.co.uk forward slash offers and breaks. We really hope to see you there in March. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't, right? Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Time for a commercial break with Randox Health. Chris, you know we've been talking about taking on new challenges here recently. I have come up with a brilliant idea for one. Uh, Does it involve swimming, as usual? No, this time it involves spandex. I have decided I'm going to get super fit and healthy and pitch Gladiators, the midlife version, to telly bosses. They brought back the 1990s show, which our generation loved, but it's for young contestants and I fancy giving a go of 55. Another one of your mad schemes, (laughs) uh, Gladiators, that is not the getting fit and healthy idea. That is something we're actually both doing right now anyway, and it's very much to be advised in midlife, isn't it? Exactly. And if I'm going to get into my Gladiator training... or any other kind of training for that matter, I think I'm going to have to double down on those regular female health checks, which brings me to Randox Health. They provide a range of comprehensive health checks for women at every life stage, designed to empower women with knowledge so they can take control of their health and make simple lifestyle changes that could prevent future illness. Well, that is a much more sensible idea than becoming a gladiator. (laughs) We've actually mentioned Randox Health before because their blood tests cover specific concerns, including menopause, fertility, polycystic ovarian syndrome, even ovarian reserve, breast and ovarian cancer risk, and much more as well. They also provide personalised health insights to help optimise your health and catch any potential issues early with their Every Woman Full Body MOT 
measuring up to 150 biomarkers in your blood relating to heart, thyroid, kidney, liver, hormone, nutritional and gut health. And their repeat testing after six months helps you to track improvements and identify further areas you might need help with. Now, if you listeners want to embark on your own health journey today, then visit randoxhealth.com. We have a discount code for our listeners. It's postcards24 and gives you 10% off on their website, randoxhealth.com. Let's get you all checked out before slipping into any spandex. Now, controversial. Some people like this, some people don't. I'm uh, bringing back bin wins. Bin wins. <laughs> well, we know Marion doesn't like it because we're just those women that just talk about yes. bins. No, no, no menopause no. worrying for our most harsh critic. It's one of life's silly and funny little observations in relationships, isn't it? That both of our husbands are obsessed with getting as much stuff in the bins for the bin men to take away. And they come in and they go, oh, that was a bin win. So Neil had a bin win this morning. He managed to get a filthy, horrid old rug that had been festering in the loft. Rolled it up. The bin men took it away. That was a bin win. And I said, that's a really good one. He said, no, I've got, I've got a better one. I've got an ultimate one. When I die, just pop me in the bin and let them deal with it. And that will be my ultimate bin win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping he means after cremation, not... No, I think he just means head down, feet up. Oh, no, in the, in the bin. <laughs> in the back of the bin, lorry. It's a good job he's not a very tall man, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's true. There's not too much of him to deal with. Is that the ultimate bin win, putting your husband's body in the bin? That would make him really, really happy, though, Trish, wouldn't it? Well, it would. So, I don't know. Do you have to follow their last wishes? I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hot house, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we are experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Morning, young Trish. I'm going to ask you to step back in the TARDIS today. Yeah. I want to take you back in time to when we were editing the glossy magazines, Elle and Marie Claire. Yes. So we're October, which is uh, Fashion Week times, isn't it? And they've, uh, they've been happening. They're coming to the end. Where would we be right now? Well, we'd have got back from Milan and then we would have repacked our suitcases and uh, headed to the land of bread and wine itself, Paris, Paris. Is there any singing to go with that? There's not, is there? It's too early. No, no, too early. That is indeed where we would be. And I was mulling this all over and the changing of the seasons because, you know, I'm in them today. Long sleeves are out. You're in your woolly jumper. Coats are coming out of storage. I noticed that the queen of all fashion, Anna Winter, she's even older than us, Trish, 73 now. She was at London Fashion Week in all her finery and there she was. I saw her in this gorgeous floral Prada coat, sexy kitten heels. Do you know what I was wearing the day that um, Anna was wearing all of that in her autumn finery? What was mine? I think it would have 
probably involved neoprene of some kind. It did, my friend, because <laughs> when the weather turns nowadays, it's not that designer coat I reach for to warm me up. I get my neoprene swim hat at because it covers my ears. And as you know, my ears get quite cold. It's my uh, weak point when I'm swimming. I was thinking of doing an Anna versus Lorraine picture on Instagram or even my old life versus my new life. Because a lot has changed, hasn't it, from my fashion days? It has. And I, I think you've missed out an important detail there because I've seen the hat. It's got a chin strap. That's how it covers my ears, yes. No, it pulls it down because, yes, yeah. anyway, yes, because most swim hats cover ears, but it pulls down. It's got a chin strap. You can barely resist me in that hat, Trish. Oh, I've seen you. I have to say, I have to say. Anyway, we're not that fussed that we're not sitting in the front rows anymore, are we? We're not bothered because the seasons have changed and life has changed for us too. It's been good. It's been good for us. And you do know, obviously, autumn means I opt for one of my winter staples too. So Anna may have had a fabulous grey cashmere sweater and long white skirt at that Vogue World launch. But what do you think I was having a route through my cupboard for? Well, I do know the answer to this one. Uh, you were looking for the thing that makes you most happiest of an autumn winter morning. Aww. You were looking for your thermal vest, weren't you, Trish? <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, that comes later. I go cotton vest first. Right. Oh, the stages. Cotton vest first. That is so exciting. September, October, cotton vest. November, December, right. thermal. Get it right. Get it right. <laughs> That's how it works. But yes, I'm uh, rather joyous. And I mean, you know, we're having so many midlife adventures. We don't really have to worry about any of that uh, gadding around Paris stuff much as we liked it. But we should raise a glass of bubbly to Paris this week because uh, it's where we came up with this idea, wasn't it, to overshare, <laughs> overshare everything that's happening in our lives, minds and bodies and launch this podcast probably before anybody else started talking about midlife. We we did a good thing, my friend. We did. We, uh, we had a reinvention. It's been a lovely reinvention. It's a very common thing in midlife for women. I've had quite a good month myself, not gadding around Paris. I've been on... Uh, telly i've been on uh, itv lorraine yes stood under that sign lorraine and the loose women which uh, is the new name for my uh, band or my only fans oh, page yes. um i've been off to work with some of my friends at the tate i've nice. given a talk at henley literary festival i even went to a year eight welcome evening for my 12 year old and i it that's something obviously that i probably wouldn't have been able to do before in my previous life so change brings new things and it's been very good how has your changing week been well I've uh, settled down after the twins have gone to university, decontaminated their bedrooms. Very important thing to yes. do once they've gone. Uh, but no, one of the things that I really love about this time of year, back to school, is that um, I do some uh, volunteer tutoring and I've got a new student. Oh. I do it with an organisation called The Access Project, which I highly recommend if anybody has some spare time and has a sort of passion or an interest academic-wise that they'd like to share. So yes, I'm tutoring young Emily through her GCSE English. It's brilliant. Well, she will pass. Of course she will. I can tell now. Flying colours. She will be a bit scared, but she will pass. Oh, <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope so. But um, yeah, no, it's brilliant. I've been doing it for a few years now. And I think this idea of giving back is something we're going to be talking about after our special interview um, on this week's show. Because we're going to tackle the subject of midlife loneliness. And so many of you have talked about feeling lonely in midlife, despite being surrounded by people. I've felt that myself. I mean, so we decided to offer some support, comfort and advice. We're going deeper than just practical tips, aren't we? Because we have another sort of 
taboo in our main interview? Well, I think it isn't taboo anymore because we've been talking about it. Um, We're going to be talking about sex, S-E-X, with our main interview guest today. We have got the sex educator and a friend of Postcards from Midlife, Ruth Ramsey, coming on because she is such a powerful voice on women and sex in midlife. She's worked with so many women and couples on their sex lives personally, all sorts of sex lives, you know, very diverse in her knowledge. Um, And it all comes from a place of expertise. So we are really looking forward to talking to her, aren't we? Yeah, there have been so many headlines, haven't there, I think, recently about midlife women and sex in the past year. Um, It's like the media have just found out that they might, we might still be doing it. We might still be at it and enjoying it. They're, They're surprised by that, aren't they? The fact that it makes headlines is sort of a sign of the kind of patriarchal society which don't get Millie my alter ego started militant uh, that we live Mm. in because the idea that you should be having sex after 40 still seems to be shocking I I just I'm perplexed by it now I've got a friend from my fashion days um when I was at Elle Stacey Duguid who's written quite a good book actually uh, which talks uh, a lot about midlife sex. She's a single mum it's called In Pursuit of Happiness Mating Marriage Motherhood Money Mayhem um, and Stacey said that she finally had mind-blowing sex Ooh. at 50. I mean, she says HRT helped her with this. But we're going to explore all of that with Ruth. And we'll be talking about something I think that we don't often hear about is how hard it is for women to talk about sex with their partners and for them to find their voice around it. Um, we've sort of been a little bit quietened as we age, particularly um, Gen X, which is a shame because we were the first generation to start talking about it. I mean, there is so much to cover with Ruth, isn't there? My goodness, there is so much to discuss. Sex, sexuality, love, loneliness. I think we'd better get started before I get uh, too hot in my vest. (laughs) Take it off. We don't want that, Trish. You might set the internet on fire. You can save that for your OnlyFans page. Now, if your sex life has fallen to the bottom of a never-ending to-do list, you are definitely not alone. For many women in midlife, it's all too easy to lose your way when it comes to intimacy and physical pleasure, but very hard to find the way back. Whether it's because of physical changes due to perimenopause, disconnection with a long-term partner or the stresses and strains of everyday life, losing our sexual identity and erotic mojo can have a physical, emotional and psychological impact on our lives. But fear not, this week's guest is here to help. She is sex educator, intimacy coach and erotic expert Ruth Ramsey, who also happens to be the Postcards from Midlife Facebook group expert on sex and relationships. Ruth, who is 48, is a former striptease artist who left the business after 12 years when she moved to the countryside to be with her now husband, Nev. She worked as a fitness trainer, then trained as a transformational coach, but missed the erotic world. When a midlife acquaintance asked her to coach her around her sex life, a light bulb went on. Ruth has since put her unique skill set to good use, working with many couples and individuals to transform their sex lives with her Passion 8 programme, one-to-one and couples coaching, as well as workshops on how to feel confident naked and understanding your erotic mind. She joins us today to answer all of yours and some of our questions about how to put sexual pleasure back on the agenda. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Ruth. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to be on here. Oh, that's lovely to hear. Now, we should probably start by saying that no two sex lives or sex drives are the same, are they? Some of our listeners will be perfectly content with the amount of sex they're having. Others, however, might not be. 
and they're worried that their libido has gone completely AWOL. Maybe they no longer fancy their partner um, and they're worried that that could signal the end of their relationship. But before we get into sort of specific advice, we just talk about the kind of physiology of it all and what, what sex does for us. Why is it important for us physically, psychologically and emotionally? Well, study after study has shown that it's extremely good for us. It's a form of exercise, depending on how vigorous <laughs> we make it. But exercise, flexibility, getting blood flow to the genital region, which of course is so, so important as we age and in midlife. But mentally, to me, I think the mental benefits are the most important ones. If we have a partner, it makes us feel closer to our partner, just releases a whole cascade of happy hormones in the brain, pleasure hormones in the brain. And I think when we're happy and when we're tuned into pleasure, that radiates across everything in our life. Everything feels more joyful and more pleasurable. And I think that's so important, particularly at this age. And that's men and women you're talking about, isn't it? You've got some really interesting, very helpful blogs on your website, uh, one of which is titled, What Would Your Vulva Say to You? I don't know. I don't spend much time talking to mine. <laughs> <laughs> How do we, though, get comfortable with looking at ourselves? And do you think that's a good starting point physically if we do feel sort of at sea sexually at this age? We know that many women just don't know the structure or anything about those parts of their bodies. How do we get comfortable with it, though? Gen X, I guess I'm talking about. Firstly, I'll say that if you're deeply uncomfortable, you're totally normal. Something that I'll ask everyone with a vulva who I coach, but most importantly for midlife women, I'll say if you had a lineup of 10 photographs of vulva in front of you, could you recognise your own? I'd know Trisha's because it'd be wearing a vest, a winter <laughs> vest. <laughs> well, yeah, could you recognise your own? <laughs> no, you see, that's the thing. You wouldn't, would you? So, you, yeah, that's a good way to start. Carry on, carry on. Ruth. I think it's ever so strange that there's this part of our body that we can see just with a hand mirror that we don't look at and that I think um, from my quite vast experience is one of the most unique parts of the human body. No two are alike and yet we couldn't recognise our own. Um, most women I speak to say, oh, I've never looked. And I think the reasons for that are deep-seated shame around, around that part of the body, upbringing. I'm sure all of us in midlife will have remembered constant jokes and teasing about smells or looks. We have horrible, that I'm not even going to use, terms for that part of the anatomy. And we're just taught that it's something dirty, shameful, smelly, ugly, and that no one, even ourselves, should want to be intimate with. So it's not a surprise that we kind of hesitate to look. But yes, it is so important so in studies that have been done with women who describe themselves as being epically sexually satisfied, they are the same women who report loving their vulvas, feeling entirely comfortable with that part of the body. And that makes sense because not all sex has to involve the genitals. I'm very passionate about moving the focus away from just being on the genitals. But for much of it, there is a focus there. And if we feel so bad about that part of our body that we can't even look at it, then how are we going to relax into pleasure? Particularly, how are we going to allow somebody else to be down there giving us pleasure? So it is a good starting point and it's incredibly important. But I understand it's also very daunting 
for a lot of women. So what I recommend, first of all, is to become more familiar with other people's vulvas. And what I mean by that is start looking at the art, the photography, the Instagram art that's out there now. There was a project, The Great Wall of Vulva, which is 400 vulva casts, vulva sculptures that an artist did. And that too is internationally. I'm not sure where in the world it is now, but there's also an online tour. So you can go on in the privacy and comfort of your own home and view these 400 plaster casts. There's a beautiful Instagram account called Pleasure Portraits, which has watercolour drawings of penises and vulva that people have sent in. One of my greatest moments of triumph with a client who had never looked at her vulva was further down her coaching journey. She actually submitted a photograph to Pleasure Portraits and the artist drew it. And there it is anonymously, obviously, but there it is on Instagram. I think if we've never seen other women's vulva or if we've only seen it in porn, particularly if we saw some porn mags in the 80s when we were growing up that were all very, very airbrushed, we've got this idea of what the vulva should look like that's entirely unrepresentative of real life. So the first step is to be brave. You might want to look from behind your hands initially, but use the resources that are out there now to get familiar. Once you've then become familiar, then you might feel a bit braver about looking at your own. And of course, this isn't just about sexual pleasure. This is about health as well and getting to know what's normal for you. So that's a starting point for sure. Um, now, this post on our Facebook group is one we think a lot of midlife couples will relate to. It says, my husband and I have grown apart over the years. Now that our children are teenagers and we're not so busy with them, the distance is obvious. We really do live like siblings. There's been no intimacy for a very, very long time. I feel my husband wants to make an effort, but I feel I've gone cold towards him. It's not that the sexual side of me is gone. I just don't find him sexually attractive anymore. Where does someone begin in that situation to, to get back on track? I mean, can you start to fancy someone again? There's a lot of stake here, isn't there? There is. I think for that person, it comes down to how much effort they're prepared to put in, how open-minded they're prepared to be about change and whether their partner's on board with that as well. From my experience, I'd say that in this situation that's been described, it's very difficult, or I go so far as to say unlikely, that she will start fancying again the man that she recognises as her husband now. What needs to happen is for them to start viewing each other with fresh eyes again as sexual beings. But that is going to take time and effort. So a few suggestions that are going to sound sort of lightweight and throwaway, but I know take work, would be, for example, to start dating again. Get curious about that person. You might think you know him. You know his favourite food. You know his favourite colour. You know the most embarrassing moment of his life. You know his greatest triumph, his greatest joy. But do you? When did you actually last talk and connect in that kind of way? Can you go for dinner and put your phones on silent and actually talk about things that aren't the joint project of your life together and the family together? There needs to be that willingness to see each other afresh. Now, sex can actually, or sexual topics can be a great part of this because very often when we're young and in the early stages of a relationship and then as the relationship develops, 
sex might be what we think it should be. We're replaying what we've seen on TV and in the films. Our pleasure hormones are going crazy. Our bodies are young and fit and designed for pleasure and things can feel good. There's an opportunity when we feel that the spark has gone to actually inquire a bit deeper about ourselves. Who are we sexually? What actually turns us on? What do we need, not just for so-so or good enough pleasure, but for absolutely epic pleasure? Now, for a lot of people, this is a journey absolutely into the unknown. We don't tend to spend a lot of time making these inquiries of ourselves sexually, because as I say, we just typically go along with kind of acting out what we've been shown sex should be. If a couple are prepared to go on a journey of learning around that. So first of all, just even understanding the basics of anatomy and sex science is important. Opening our minds to how we can be sexually. So it doesn't have to be that a heterosexual man is quickly turned on, likes to think about genitals and penetration, turned on by porn, outcome focused. Not all men necessarily are like that. That's the norm, isn't it? That we've been, the narrative we've been sold, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I worked with a guy once who was on my course and his feedback on one of the modules was that he'd finally accepted that he could be more turned on by someone whispering in his ear than by having his penis touched. And he said, I think intuitively I've always known that, but I've been ashamed of it. And I pushed it to the side because I thought it didn't make me a real man. But actually, when we open our minds to what can arouse us, what parts of our bodies can be the most sensitive, we can find actually we're quite different to how we thought we were. And if a couple can go on that journey together and realise I'm not who I thought I was sexually and you're not who I thought you were, that creates curiosity and it creates distance. And it's curiosity and distance that are needed to reignite the spark again. But the situation that that poster is describing, it is common. And I know that for what I've just described to happen, it takes both partners to be able to be very honest with each other and very open-minded. And I do appreciate that that's not always the case. One other tip, we tend to be most attracted to our partner when they're not focusing on us, but instead of focusing on something they're expert in. So it might be if someone has a partner who performs on stage somehow, maybe they play in a band down the pub or something like that, to see them wrapped up in what they love doing. Or it might be that they're a great conversationalist and to watch them across the room at a party where they're deep in conversation, entertaining conversation with someone and they've forgotten you're even there. Someone said to me once, why do I find it such a turn on to watch my husband shaving? And I'm like, because at that moment, he's absorbed in something entirely that's not you. So can you watch your partner doing those kinds of things? Or can you watch somebody else fancying them? So often this can be a turning point when we realise that our partner, who we think has become boring and whatever else we're thinking about them, if we see somebody else fancies them, again, that helps us see them through fresh eyes. I don't know how one would engineer that situation, but it's about creating distance and seeing each other afresh. Yeah, and it's also, you've mentioned this before, about probably sorting some of the things that are getting in the way during the day because, you know, the other bits of your relationship are important when you've been in a long term, you know, you are not going to 
really want to have sex with someone who won't put the bins out or do any of the things, you know, who's caused this kind of rift, this sort of separateness, this strangeness, this curiousness is quite hard to create, isn't it? If you've had a day of not being, you know, that gentle loveliness with each other has perhaps gone in a long-term relationship. We had a great thread on our Facebook page about the habits of men that seem to drive <laughs> women mad. That's quite hard to come back from. You, you, What you mean, though, is to sort that out as well at the same time, don't you? You can't really expect either partner to kind of jump back in after a gap when that's still going on, or can you? Absolutely. And all of that is part of the education about how arousal works. We tend to think that sex should be something that we don't have to put any effort into, that we shouldn't need to speak about, and that desire should just arise spontaneously. It's as if sex should exist as something entirely different to the rest of our relationship. Whatever else is going on, the bins aren't put out, this or that, that when we go into the bedroom and shut the door, suddenly we should be so hot for each other. Something that is useful for everybody to understand is that sex doesn't exist separate to the rest of our lives like that. Everything else that's going on, including, as you say, frustrations within the relationship, um, is going to feed into our ability to feel optimum desire. So part of the work that a couple will need to put in to reignite a spark will be, yes, to be honest with each other and assess all of those niggles and gripes that are bringing down the energy overall in the relationship. And what about affairs? We get a lot of questions about affairs. Can women or men come back from that sexually, do you think, in, in midlife? Because it is you're, you're changing as a person, people meet other people. Is, is it something that's the absolute death knell to a sexual relationship if, if one of you has had an affair? I don't believe it is. I am going to hand over here to Esther Perel. The great Esther Perel. Uh, her TED Talk, Rethinking Infidelity, is my favourite ever TED Talk. Must all watch it. It is incredible. And she says that when an affair has happened, can that relationship survive? She says, no, rethink it. You're starting a new relationship. If you want to go forward, you're starting a new relationship with that same person. She says that if affairs are used as a kind of opportunity for growth and learning, that that jolt of deep, deep realisation that that person is entirely separate to you can actually be healthy. She says that often affairs aren't necessarily about wanting someone else. It's wanting to see ourselves through fresh eyes. So if we've been the wife, the mother, we want to see ourselves maybe instead as the passionate, daring lover. And we might go outside the relationship to find someone, to bask under someone's gaze, seeing us as something other than wife and mother. The way that I like to suggest people use Perel's TED Talk is actually to learn from it what you can do to avoid an affair happening. It's a great kind of reverse education. She says these are the benefits that can come from an affair. So let's look at that and think, okay, how can we bring that into the relationship now? And actually, just on a very basic level, the behavior that we exhibit during an affair, which is very similar to the behavior at the start of a relationship, when people go, oh, I wish it was like it was at the beginning. It's like, well, do you plan dates ahead? Do you message each other? Do you think, how can I make Friday night as epic for that person as possible? Do you think about clothing, personal grooming? Do you make absolutely sure that nothing is going to intrude on that time with that person? We do that at the start of a relationship, but people do that when they're having an affair as well. 
think about the amount of focus and energy that goes onto it. And yet we don't do that in our long-term relationships. So watch that TED talk and then try to have an affair with your partner. And then the affair itself might not need to happen. But as a short answer, yes, I have seen people move forward from affairs and I've seen I've seen them able to look back and go, that was the best thing that could have happened for us. It's helpful to know for people. Now, something else that can uh, derail people's sex lives at this life stage, of course, is perimenopause. A lot of women, uh, we did a survey actually last year and a lot of the respondents said that was probably one of the biggest impacts on their sex life and sex drive. So if a woman is feeling zero desire, she might be worried about weight gain, her feeling undesirable. What can she do? Should she be asking her GP for testosterone as a first port of call or is there something else she can try? Low libido itself isn't necessarily a problem. If it's not a problem for you and it's not causing any other problems in your life, maybe it's not something to worry about. I would say that maintaining sexual functioning for health is good. But if it's not causing distress, let's not get too obsessed with it. But Dr. Davis also looked in her survey at distress and the percentage of women reporting both low libido and distress about this in the 35 to 39 year group was 24.5% and then it jumps to 33.4% in the 40 to 45% age group and then it stays above 30% until the age group 65 to 70 and that's when it falls. So that means nearly one third of women for 25 years of their life feel that they have low libido and that this is causing some kind of distress. So this is a huge issue and it's not fair at all, but there are things that we can do about it. And that's why it's great that conversations like this are happening. Thank you so much for having me on, because the more we realise that desire and libido is something we have some control over, then the more that statistic hopefully will fall as we age and as our daughters age. So what can a woman do about it? I think a trip to the GP is definitely a good idea, both to discuss hormones, but also health overall. If we're feeling super stressed out, if we're not looking after ourselves, yes, we can have insomnia with perimenopausal symptoms, but it might also be that we know we're just simply not getting to bed at a decent time. Um, I think there's the insomnia from the symptoms, but then there's also all the other pressures that are going on at this time that are affecting us. So an overall health checkup is a good idea. It might be that HRT is appropriate. We know the challenges around getting testosterone on the NHS. For some women, that path might be the only option. Um, For some, they might be able to go private. But it's not just kind of what I'll call hardcore HRT that can help us at this age. So the GP might be able to prescribe the vaginal pessary. They're entirely safe. Yeah. And here in the UK, they're available over the counter for over 50s after a chat with the pharmacist. But for under 50s, the GP can prescribe that. Yeah. A trip to the GP is a good starting point, but it's not all about hormones. There's so much that we can do to help encourage our libido. In studies that have been done between hormone levels and levels of sexual desire. These are studies that have been done in the transgender community. The correlation with sexual happiness isn't hormone levels in the bloodstream. It's the, what we would call psychosocial factors. It's feeling good about one's body. It's feeling that we have a right to pleasure, 
feeling valued by a partner, those are the things that correlate more strongly than hormones. So those are the things that we can take some action on. So to that woman, as you say, feeling low libido, feeling unhappy at midlife, first of all, I'd say you can take the power into your own hands. This is going to be a repeat message on on this broadcast. Don't just sit back and wait for libido. We were brought up as women in who are now in midlife, typically to almost feel sex is something that's done to us. We just lie back and it just happens. But no, if we take control back, I like to say take sovereignty over our sexual selves and think, okay, what do I need to do lifestyle-wise? If a woman is busy, stressed out, feels that she never, ever has any time for herself, then her libido is likely to be flat. So what can you do lifestyle-wise? What can you learn about yourself sexually? So again, this is educating yourself about anatomy, about desire. There's amazing podcasts. There's Netflix documentaries. There's books. There's all sorts of resources out there to learn. If we don't understand kind of the raw materials of what we're working with, how are we going to make a change? And then to ask yourself, where have your beliefs about sex and midlife come from? Who made you think, well, I'm going to be dried up and past it once I get into my 40s? Patriarchy. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a kind of um, pleasure activism. Oh, I'm going to get a badge. I'm going to become a pleasure activist, Trish feel like there's a whole outfit that'll go with that. Can we talk about men? Uh, Ruth? So for people in uh, heterosexual relationships or might have been in long-term heterosexual relationships, men change physically in midlife as well and their hormones fluctuate as we know. Um, they might not have um, erections in the same way they did before, but we're still living under this narrative that men always want to have sex and can do it any minute. It'd be spontaneous and women, they have to build up to it. We've still got that all in our head. How can we help our partners navigate their insecurities? Because Gen X men would rather, I don't know, they'd rather let someone else take their bins out than talk about sex and sexuality. And But they are familiar with their penis because they have spent a lot of time looking at it in the way that women haven't their vulvas. So how do we help them? Where do we start without making it difficult and uncomfortable for them? Well, I think there's an opportunity to talk about how our own bodies and libido are changing as a lead into a conversation about his body and how his libido is changing. Lots of women don't realise the changes that men experience. It was one of the things that I heard most often after my talk at Postcards Live. Women coming up to me saying, I had no idea that post 40, 40% of men are experiencing erectile changes. 40%. Yeah. And then it increases from there. The language around this now is typically becoming erectile changes or erectile challenges for the natural changes of ageing rather than dysfunction. And even just the terminology that you use in discussing this with a man can make a difference. The ED, erectile dysfunction, is a term which terrifies men. So instead, if we talk about the changes, it's worthwhile him going to the GP for a checkup as well, because the changes can be one of the sort of early warning signs of cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure. Not to freak him out, but it's just worth going to have that checkup. And then understanding together the changes that are happening, but also understanding the opportunity of those changes. We tend to think that the penis and vagina intercourse is the ultimate sexual pleasure. 
for a man. That's a Gen X have been told that. Exactly, yeah. And yes, it can be a challenge to get a man to think beyond that. But typically older men who are still sexually active report having better sex since they broaden their view away from penis and vagina. And I like to say an erect penis kind of demands attention. If there's an erect penis in the room, that's where the sexual attention is going. And actually to not have one, if a man can get over the sort of deeply ingrained sort of shame and embarrassment about that. But it's, it's our description of masculinity again, mm, isn't it? Mm. That's what we've defined it as. Yeah, we need to try and move beyond that because, of course, it's not just ageing. There's medical conditions. Um, there's side effects of medication that can affect a man at any age that might mean he has erectile challenges. So it's a benefit for everyone, if we can, to move beyond that obsession with PIV, as sexologists and sex coaches term it, and look at the whole body as a tool for sexual pleasure. There's a great book called Sizzling Sex for Life that's written by Michael Castleman, who's one of the most long-running sex writers and journalists, and it's for men. So if you don't want to directly talk to your man about this, but if you think maybe he might read a book or maybe he might listen to a podcast with Michael Castleman on, that could be a suggestion. Coming from a place of, I loved our sex life how it was. I miss that intimacy. I miss that closeness. I would like us to put a bit of effort into getting that back on track. Would you listen to this podcast? So say we get to a place where we're now comfortable with our anatomy, we're feeling pleasure, we've got the relationship that we're, you know, we're dating, we're doing all of those things. It might be that in midlife, your sexual desires and fantasies might start to come out or they might change or they might evolve. How do you bring fantasy into play? And also kink. I mean, you've said before, actually, that um, kink in midlife is something that couples talk about? Well, first of all, with fantasies, the big thing to overcome is this fear that it's only us fantasizing about this particular thing and that it's somehow dirty and wrong and that it's going to shock our partner. In fact, when studies have been done on fantasy, and it's quite a hot topic at the moment, the majority of people are fantasizing about very similar things. So the top category is multi-partner sex with over 90% of men and women fantasizing about that. And then the second most common is kink, power play, BDSM, so bondage, domination. I always forget what order they go in. But yeah, kinky play and power play. So whilst it might feel like our sordid little secret that this particular fantasy gets us off, chances are our partner has also had that fantasy, if not regularly had that as their favourite fantasy. I think it's great to use an outside source of information to hinge discussion around. So looking up, there's a great book about fantasies, Tell Me What You Want by Justin Miller, and using that to start the topic up rather than sitting down and saying, so what are your fantasies? But then there's the understanding that just because something's a fantasy, it doesn't mean you want it to happen. Well, not take it personally is what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. A fantasy is different to a desire. Desire is something we actually want to bring into life, but a fantasy, not necessarily. Typically, couples will tell me that once they start talking about fantasies, it's kind of opened the floodgates and they'll have hilarious conversations about these sort of wild and, and out there 
fantasies that they have. You're going to have to dress as a bin man, Trish. I'm just telling you now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. In terms of bringing fantasies to life, I recommend very small steps. If you have a discussion and realise you've got the same fantasy, so, for example, to have a threesome. This could go wrong, this discussion, though, couldn't it? I mean, you could begin this discussion and then your partner might take it personally. It's quite a brave thing to do, isn't it? It is, yeah. So you can kind of go a roundabout route of, oh, I saw this thing in a film or I had this crazy dream. You won't believe what I dreamt and kind of test the water out like that. I think that's literally the only instance I can think of where I would recommend a bit of a porky pie. Normally, I'm a kind of obsessive truth teller. But in that instance, it can be a good way to test the water. But as with all of the discussions that we've talked about having so far, it's about coming from a place of, I want our shared sexual life to be better. Are you up for us going on a journey with that aim in which we're going to learn new things about each other, learn new things together? And so then the discussion about fantasies doesn't seem so threatening if you've made clear this is about our pleasure. And and then, as I was saying, small steps. So if you are both keen on the idea of a threesome, experiment with blindfolds and pretending that someone else is in the room, for example. And sometimes couples tell me that that kind of let's play act the fantasy turned out to be enough. And what about sex toys? How do you feel about them? I think sex toys are fantastic. They're tools. They are pleasure tools. They are now available for all types of genitals. So there's some great sex toys out there for penises now. There's a few that can be shaped and moulded to, uh, that vibrate, that can be shaped and moulded to fit different bits of anatomy, as well as all of the things that will have come to mind when you said sex toys. As I'm sure you know, and as I hope listeners will know, they are not what they used to be in the 90s, 80s and 90s. They're not these nasty, jelly plastic, (laughs) neon pink monstrosities. (laughs) We've got brands now where they're designed, designed by women, beautiful toys that work brilliantly. I think there's absolutely no shame in using them. Again, this is something which culturally we've been brought up to, oh, there's something wrong if there's a toy. But I say, well, there's not something wrong if you use a blow dryer on your hair instead of standing out in the sunshine hoping the wind is going to dry it. You can buy them online as well. It's not as that if you don't have to get brave enough to go into a shop. The way that I would talk about them or suggest someone talks about them with a partner is to say there's things these toys can do that my body and your body literally cannot do. Why should we sort of stop ourselves experiencing those things? You know, this is an adventure we can go on together and that can enhance our sexual life together rather than the opposite. Keep it more varied, keep it fun and help us explore our changing sensitivity as our bodies age as well. And can you recommend any particular ones? Well, it's very much down to personal preference. Before I forget, I must mention lube again. Body safe, pH balanced lube should always go along with buying a sex toy or with any sexual play at this age. I've coached women who've had their first orgasms thanks to the type of toy that came out a few years ago that pulses air against the head of the clitoris. So the big brand is Womanizer. Now, sometimes all these 
toys sometimes get called womanizers, like we called vacuum cleaners, hoovers. Their womanizer is a particular brand. It's the premium brand. I personally, and I do mean personally, think it's the best brand, but they are very powerful. And I've spoken to women who have bought cheaper version from Love Honey, for example, and it's actually suited them better because it's been a bit more gentle. We've now got a kind of air pulse rabbit hybrid type of toy coming out that has a part outside of the body that has the air pulse technology against clitoris and then has an internal arm as well for people who like sensation internally. Um, So that's the kind of the new rabbit. But ultimately, it's going to depend on each individual body. I recommend either going in person to a shop like Ann Summers, which again is very different to the Ann Summers of the 1980s and 1990s, where you can actually pick up and feel these toys. Or most of the big cities have a couple of big sex shops. Or if you're buying online, look to buy from somewhere that has a satisfaction guarantee. So even if the toy works fine, there's nothing wrong with it, but it just doesn't personally work for you, you can get it returned. Because some of these toys can be very expensive. Do you mean hundreds, don't you? Some of them are, yeah, yeah. So you might see one that you think, oh, I think that would be great for me, but it's $89.99 on Love Honey, but here it is on Amazon for $49.99. But once you've bought it off Amazon, if it doesn't work for you, there's nothing you can do. If you've bought it from Love Honey, I don't know about Joe Divine. I know that Sam gives lots and lots of advice. If you can return it, if simply it doesn't give you pleasure, then that's the best thing. And then experiment. The other thing around toys, though, is I do speak to women who say, oh, my husband and I went shopping and uh, something happened that made us all excited about our sex life again and hopeful. And we went shopping and we bought a toy. We've never even got it out of the box. Sometimes just kind of the high from going on that shopping trip can be so exciting but then that dies away and then you might feel a bit awkward or embarrassed or ashamed about the fact you bought a sex toy and you never even open it. Please, if you have a toy in the box under the bed, please at least give it a try. But try it on yourself first. Another thing that I see go wrong a lot of times, if a couple have bought a toy, a heterosexual couple and the toys for her, the man will be so keen... (laughs) on this new tool gadget and it's a case of can it go faster can it go harder can it go more intense and that can totally turn the female body off so experiment with it yourself at least a few times um, and learn what it can do for you and I'd like to share a story actually from a woman who I spoke to literally yesterday she had never orgasmed she'd always faked it she thought he's not doing anything wrong I'm faulty I take too long but at perimenopause, decided, I want to learn once and for all, am I faulty or can I orgasm? And she said, I bought myself a vibrator and it took a few sessions and she'd started um, home studying for a degree. So she had this private time away from husband and family each week. And she used some of that time for this self-exploration. And she had her first orgasm and she said it was a life-changing moment. I'm not broken, this can happen. But then she didn't actually tell her husband for nearly a year. She was learning about herself, about her body's pleasure, but she also said it was this wonderful thing I'd discovered that was just for me. It wasn't me as a wife, it wasn't me as a mother, all of these other duties. It was just my golden glowing little secret that I enjoyed 
having as my thing. When she did tell him, we didn't go into the intricacies of exactly how she had that conversation, but I was like, how did he react? And she said he was fantastic about it. He didn't take it personally and he was excited to move forward and become part of this new sexual world that I was experiencing. We've had so much fantastic advice and insight from you, Ruth, and a lot of it, we've been talking about it in couples and partnerships, but a lot of this works solo as well. If you're a single person, there's so much to explore and enjoy from what you've uh, talked about and resources, which brings me on to, you mentioned Postcards from Midlife Live. Uh, You made a great impression, and I think you have a whole legion of followers now after your talks um, at our show earlier this year. And one woman told me afterwards, actually, she said that she was newly single and really wanted to explore her sexuality before embarking on a long-term relationship. She saw herself being in another long-term relationship with a man, but in the in-between, she wanted to explore her sexuality. She was bi-curious and she was also quite intrigued by the idea of sex with an escort and she'd wished she'd asked you about it. So we're asking you now on her behalf, where, where does she start? If a woman of any age is bi-curious and if she is living in or can get to one of the major cities, um, so I'm talking about the UK, there are organisations like Skirt Club and like Killing Kittens that do female-run, female-friendly sex parties, basically. Now, that doesn't mean it's a wall-to-wall orgy. It means it's a space for open-minded, curious people In some cases, women only. Skirt Club is women only. Kidding Kittens has women only parties, but mixed parties as well. It's a space to go and explore, to talk with people who are similarly curious and like-minded and to talk to people who've been on that journey. Oh, you sound like me three years ago. This has happened, this has happened, this has happened. Do a lot of midlife women bring this to you, this kind of curiosity for same-sex relationships or same-sex sex? There's curiosity about all sorts. So uh, we mentioned kink earlier, but we didn't go into that. But fantasies, kink, open relationships, by curiosity, are all things which I see increasing interest in at midlife. Parties like Killing Kittens back in the day had age limits. Um, And some of these you might think, oh, I heard about a sex party once like 20 years ago, but they had an age limit and you had to send photos in first and they'd say whether you were approved or not. That has all totally changed and they're open to any kind of age. Killing kittens, in my personal experience, the parties that I've been to, has been so good that if my stepdaughter, who's 25, said to me, I'm thinking of going to a killing kittens party on my own, will I be all right? I would say yes, absolutely safe and it will be a wonderfully positive experience. So for the newly single and bi-curious woman, I would say check out those kinds of parties rather than looking for a one-to-one interaction straight away. um, Go and sort of survey all of the possibilities and talk to lots of people who've been there. And it's a wonderfully encouraging community as well. And you might learn so much about yourself. I've spoken to women who've said they only understood their own bodies when they began to play with another woman's body. They like had no idea how amazing the female body is until I was with another female body. So it can be a great self-education as well. I think Gen X always thinks we've got to identify one way, don't we? Whereas there's a more fluid attitude in society now, sometimes around desire and sexuality, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. And it's all there for us to explore. In terms of escorts, it sounds as if 
this woman's interested is she interested in a male escort male escort yeah so i did a bit of asking around because i was a bit out of touch and i've been told the website adultwork.com is still the main place to go since leo grand there's been quite a lot in the press marie claire did a great article about um inside the life of a male escort all of those articles and escort agency sites themselves will talk about sex itself not being on offer. But I would recommend contacting those agencies. Have a look. There's a couple of big ones that come up early on Google and inquiring because legally they're not allowed to say that sex is on offer. So for anyone interested in this but worried that they're going to break the law, sex work itself is legal in the UK. One adult can exchange money or goods with another in exchange for sexual services but pretty much everything around how a business would operate is illegal advertising it is illegal working with somebody else is illegal this isn't the place to go into into the law or the morals but so much around it is illegal and gentlemen escort sites will say very clearly sex is not on offer but i would say give them a ring and have a conversation and treat it as an adventure and remember that you don't have to go through with anything. Get curious, explore, find out more about it and then see where it takes you. And then hopefully, if it's great, tell your friends. <laughs> you, you've been so helpful, Ruth. I think this is something that will really make a difference to women's life. I think personally, there's a bit of a sexual revolution happening for this generation of women. And when we find our power sexually, because that's the thing the patriarch has told us we, we no longer have, and, and we're that thus we are not valuable to society in general. I think as we start to find our power, then we find power in every part of society. But you are a great voice to have, and I'm so glad we got you onto the show at last. Just, just for listeners listening, you are on our private Facebook group as one of our experts. So um, you can't answer everyone's question, but you are there as well to talk about general themes. And we'll put the things you've mentioned, we'll link to them as well. So thank you very much for coming and on. And your website, of course, as well. We'll share those details too. Thank you so much, Ruth. It's been a pleasure. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Thank you.
the How to Win at Midlife bit of the show, Trish, where we offer useful, practical advice and some comfort to our wonderful listeners. And this week, we thought we'd take a soulful approach to something more and more women are talking about in midlife. We got this idea from Gwyneth Paltrow, didn't we, Trish? Did we, Lorraine? That's news to me. You're not just about to do another gigantic (laughs) name drop. No, no. Let me explain. So there I was stalking GP, as I like to do on Instagram. (laughs) There she pops up, no makeup, all the time. And she popped up a post saying that she wanted to make the world feel a less lonely place. What are you doing, Gwyneth? I thought, what's going on here? It felt like a bit of a tangent because what she'd done was taken an Airbnb tagline less lonely place Mm. to announce her guest house in california was now up on airbnb it's got a wine room trish you're gonna love it (laughs) you should have a look we should go anyway gp said she wanted to remind people to make connections and i was just struck that how a huge global marketing campaign should be you know focused on such a serious issue on on loneliness Mm. i mean i love seeing inside gwyneth's adorable guest house but i was a bit sad about the loneliness tagline And at the same time as she was talking about this, there was uh, BBC Woman's Hour did a whole week focusing on women and loneliness, which you should all dip into the archives and listen Mm. to because it was really helpful. And I realised that this is just such a powerful emotion and so many women are talking about it at the moment, aren't they, Trish? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's um, it sort of hits at particular times in life. Teenage years, I think girls can kind of slip into loneliness. But for us in our midlife years, as kind of Gen X women, our identity changing, it's difficult, isn't it? But there's a bit of shame around talking about it. But we're going to stop that now because uh, we're going to be talking about it. We've mentioned this before on the show. I think it's happened to both of us, this idea that you can feel lonely and isolated even when you've got lots of people around you. And um, that's something I certainly felt yeah. in my in my 40s, um, heading into the sort of menopausal years when so busy, so much going on. And I, I kind of think it was an emotional loneliness, an emotional kind of, who do I talk to? I don't know who I am anymore. I feel really overwhelmed. I'm really not coping with the world, but who could I reach out to and talk to about that? And that's what I think made me feel lonely. Yeah, I think because we are often referred to as the linchpin generation. Mm. We've got empty nest, we've got elderly parents, we've got divorce, career changes. All of it brings a little bit of turmoil and upheaval. And that makes us, I think that makes us feel untethered from everything that we know or we knew before. You know, we've broken away from our past Mm -hmm. selves. And then we lose ourselves a little bit and we feel separated from our tribe and we start to lose connections, even the the weak ones and the strong ones. And that prompts us, I think, to feel lonely, even when we're in rooms full of people and I'm either in a room full of people or completely on my own. And it's a bit of a conundrum I hadn't experienced before. Yeah, of course. And and we've talked as well about this idea of midlife being a, a liminal space or this fertile void. It can be uh, referred to and we kind of go through a sort of reckoning. And that could be, obviously, that could be a really good thing and a really positive thing. But it can also be quite a difficult thing for, for us, because sometimes we might make life changing decisions in this void and yeah. have to navigate a new way of being. And that is quite a lonely process because as Davina said, Davina McCall on this yes. uh, show just the other week, she says, you can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You just got to go through it. And only you can do that. And also actually Trini last week um, on the show, she was talking about it in the context of coming out of a long-term relationship. She's done that this year. And she talked about having the time to become 
and find your whole self again. And that's a solitary process. It's not necessarily an easy thing to do, but it's a really good thing to do. Yeah, so we might be feeling lonely because we've got to do all this stuff on our own <laughs> in our head. And it's, you know, it's not tangible, physical, practical stuff. It's, you know, real thinking. Uh, we're not the only people navigating it. The government has followed, our government has followed Japan's lead and appointed a ministry of loneliness. There's two MPs looking into how we fund mental health for the very young and the very old because they are particularly suffering. And they, they use the phrase epidemic of loneliness. Now, we also know that this is extremely dangerous for our health. Um, some surveys say it's more dangerous than smoking to be lonely. So all the evidence points to a greater risk of inflammation-related disease uh, mm -hmm. if you are subject to loneliness. And also, there was another survey out last year which showed that 60% of married people feel lonely. So this idea of not being on your own to be lonely is actually, you're not on your own if you feel that. <laughs> a lot of people are feeling that. Yeah, and uh, I think this Facebook group post certainly relates to that, doesn't it? So if anybody is feeling like they're the only ones, um, you, you really aren't. So one of our members wrote, since my son went off to uni three years ago, I have been struggling with loneliness. I have a small family, a great business that I love and friends, but not all locally and not a group of close friends where we go out all together. I have a loving partner, but like many, I work from home and without my son coming in like he used to when at school, I feel lonely. I have joined various groups and it's a work in progress, but I miss the joy and the fun associated with my younger days where I hang out with lots of great friends doing mad things. I still do lots of lovely things, but there is an inner loneliness at this age of being mid-50s. No one else would probably know this about me. My son is all grown up and that has left a purpose gap. Although I'm still passionate about my business, this loneliness is not career related, more fun, purposeful and life related. I guess I am a work in progress. Well, that's the important part, isn't mm. it? The, the idea that we are works in progress bit of a solitary thing dealing with the work in progress that we are. So feeling it is okay, talking about it is okay, recognising it is good. Um, there's so much change and I guess accepting this evolution is part of the key to relieving yourself of the loneliness, isn't it? Yeah, and we know that we do know that there's four basic places to start with loneliness, don't we? So these the general advice, these four points. Number one, tell people you're lonely because denying it isn't helpful emotionally. We're not good at this as Generation X. We put up with it, we endure it, we get on with it. But if you can open up about it to someone, um, it's the first step to feeling less lonely or opening up on a group like our Facebook group. Journaling, writing it down, just getting it out. Exactly. And then second thing, get creative, take up a hobby or exercise because it's about being doing things that stop you ruminating too much on being lonely. And of course, exercise, as we know, helps physically and with all our sort of feel good hormones and neurons and things. Uh, and it might get you into a group joining hubs of people is a really nice thing to do third thing nurture the friends you have because sometimes we can i think we can sort of sit there waiting for the phone to ring yes. or the text message to go but actually say no one rings me you say and actually you haven't rung anyone exactly and that makes you feel really lonely but yeah have you rung anyone uh, you talked about this um the eight minute phone call Lorraine in a previous podcast you want to just quickly explain that yeah it's really really helpful read in an American book you just ring up someone you've, you've known for a very long time and you say I've got eight minutes you might text them in advance and say I'm going to ring in in an hour or whenever Eight minutes is enough to get through everything you need to get to. And it just re-establishes the connection because WhatsApp, texting, messaging on social media, not the same as talking to people. And everyone's got eight minutes, haven't they? Yeah. And the fourth thing 
is to adopt a more positive mindset, which can be easier said than done if you're feeling quite down about things. But that whole thinking more positively about your day ahead, maybe first thing in the morning, wake up and think about three things that you're grateful for and that you're looking forward into your day. And that will help you reframe your feelings too. I like the Donna Lancaster idea we talked to when she came on the show, the prayer in the morning, the non-religious prayer sets you off in a positive way. These are all great places to start. And I think the advice is small. Add things in. Don't go into a deprivation mode and take things out. And the overarching idea which I read about, which I think is really good to have in your mind, is make yourself a regular somewhere. So a regular at your swimming group or a regular at the library, a regular at the cafe down the road. Because if you do the same time, the same place, people see you as part of that community. So you might chat to the waiter, you might, it just makes you feel wanted and part of something bigger than yourself. But we do have a bit more advice because we need to sort of dig deeper than the meet up advice, which is the general advice and very good and a really good place to start. But you may still feel lonely even when you're doing that. And you may avoid doing that. You may say, I can't do that meeting up. It's just not me. So I had a look at what uh, therapists write about this and uh, read a few pieces, talked to a few people. And this is often something called hypervigilance, Trish. So that means you might get into a hypervigilance state where you start avoiding the connection with people. So this is the beginning of you feeling lonely. You're avoiding the connection. And you might ignore all the advice Trish has given above because a lonely person is always looking for excuses to withdraw because this feeling of being lonely is so uncomfortable, it takes your confidence away. So you you want to avoid places where you're going to feel even more uncomfortable because you're already uncomfortable with your loneliness. So what happens with uh, hypervigilance, Trish, and you perhaps we all need to think about this, is we can persuade ourselves that we can't join in because uh, we're a bit Marian. Mm, We're a bit like your alter ego, Marion. Bit judgy, bit judgy. Yes, we we start to encourage ourselves to think that, well, the reason I can't join in is because I'm sort of a bit better than everyone else and they don't know me and they're not quite as great as me. Because you're bolstering your self-confidence, aren't you, which is a protective barrier. And you think, well, I don't need to mix with them, so why should I connect? And this barrier protects us, but it reinforces our anxiety around loneliness. And this is sometimes a new feeling for women in midlife. We're trying to stop ourselves getting hurt or let down or having feelings of inferiority by giving ourselves a fake sense of superiority. So other things that are going on is we're sort of looking to be rejected. So what's the point in going there? But you've got to really dig deep if you're going through the hypervigilant moment and admit out loud, I am lonely. I've got to get braver. I've got to get out there and connect because the risk of not connecting is too great. You know, it is so bad for your health. You look at that Blue Zones program on Netflix, it's loneliness is a killer. It really is. So it's too big a risk not to take, frankly. So writing down the feelings helps, saying them out loud and then taking the risk um, of getting out there. You also need to accept yourself um, and that you might be okay because some people are a bit too much and they might feel that they've got to go around apologising to all the Marians of the world. I can't enter here because these people think that my personality is too much. So that might be going on. In your head. So you would just ignore the, the Marians who use the words like showing off or, you know, extrovert and things like that. We're all really different. And the thing to know is that it's okay to fit in either way, but you really have to do it. You've got to get practical. Find your tribe because you might find more people like you. So I found a lot of swimmers. Uh, we're all very similar. 
I had to make the first move. In a lot of cases, I had to go out and approach people and say, can I swim with you? You just have to do it. And once it's done, it's done. We always give this advice to our teens, don't we, Trish? <laughs> Dig deep and find out who you are and then go out there and show yourself to people. That's lots of very good, thoughtful advice. But it does take effort. That is the point um, and work. But the rewards are good. And this post really helped as well, I think, on our private Facebook group. It says, we returned to the UK after 17 years away last year. Maybe living overseas changed my outlook, but I'm much more likely to put myself out there. I'm an introvert by nature, so this isn't easy. I got involved in our local neighbourhood group, became a volunteer at a local charity, stalked the neighbourhood Facebook pages to find a couple of groups around my own interests and invited the entire street round for drinks at Christmas. Some are friends, some are acquaintances, are, and some are... Well, we won't go there. I think she's talking about the Mariana Millies. There. <laughs> it's been just over a year. And while it's still a work in progress, it's made a huge difference to our resettling and feeling connected. Real life, face-to-face, human connections really can't be beaten. It takes work and commitment and saying yes to everything for a while, which can be exhausting at times. I made some mistakes. I had my fair share of turkeys, but it has been worth it. It's brilliant. I did mm. learn in my research as well that helping others... Finding lonely people to help lonely people is is really good for you as well. There is real power in community, being part of something bigger than yourselves. Um, that's the cure for loneliness. There's some great examples on our Facebook page in this thread about loneliness. People joining choirs, fostering puppies, oh. helping charities for the deaf, charities for the blind, really getting out there, volunteering and helping, asking neighbours if they need anything. There's something else we need to do as well. It's an uncomfortable feeling being lonely, um, but we need to learn to sit with it. Yes, sit with our feelings. Uh, you don't really have time to feel these feelings when you're younger because you're moving perpetually forward. But sometimes in midlife, you're going through this reckoning. You're thinking about everything. And this is a particularly uncomfortable thing that comes up in the void. You've got to you know, sit with it, work out how you feel about it and accept sometimes you're going to be alone. Yeah, it's that, um, it's doing the work on yourself, isn't it? It's a kind of journey of self-discovery. And that should start to make you feel more comfortable in your own daily aloneness. Now, some women wrote on the group that they missed the daily friendship of youthful times, but actually we can live happily with our own company. It's a different kind of being as we age. I, I quite like my own company, as you say. But as Claire said on our Facebook page, this is a time to be in a relationship with yourself properly. That. Yeah. And another post pointed out that actually midlife and menopause may be so transformational for some and they start to change or heal, as uh, she put it, as a person. Uh, it might mean that they don't fit with friends from the past. So it's change, isn't it? And it's uh, being comfortable with that and finding your whole self and what it is that you need and what you want and what makes you feel good. There are quite a few resources that we will put um, on the Facebook group and uh, I'll put on Instagram as well. There's a new book out, which I really liked, by a writer called Sarah Wilson, who is an Australian journalist who wrote a book about living without sugar, ran some courses, made tons of money and then gave it all away and decided she would be a global nomad. And in doing that, she's written a book called This One Wild and Precious Life our path forward in a fractured world. That is out now. And it's really a lot about how to deal with being overwhelmed mm -hmm. and feeling all these feelings. Age UK have re loads of lovely places to start if you're looking for friendships or to be a friend to someone. They have an actual friendship hub. They have something also called the Silver Line Helpline. You could volunteer. That's phoning people who are lonely um, as they age. 
somebody on our Facebook group put this amazing charity up. Mm, I um, love the this. Cares Family Charity, which is so lovely. And it's just thecaresfamily.org.uk. And they have this thing called the ripple effect where they train people to bring young people and old people together within their communities, which I just think is such a lovely thing to do. I'm going to look at doing that myself. You might want to go on a walk. There is uh, Mental Health Mates. Uh, they do the walks all over the country. If you go onto their website, you can have a look. And then yesterday when I was talking about uh, Empty Nest on telly, this lovely charity called the Coram Beanstalk Charity contacted me. And this is, they train one-to-one volunteers to read to children in schools to support them in their reading because we know reading is basically the basis of all education. We've mentioned Shout, the text line before. You can volunteer to do that. You can train at home. That's putting something back, feeling part of something bigger. And we've mentioned it, haven't we, Trish, on, you know, there's Facebook, which is... Oh, yes. Much as it's demonised, our group, uh, private group, is so helpful, so supporting, so comforting. Um, But there are lots of groups out there of special interest that you might want to join and start making friends and reach out with separately. Getting all the feels now, Lorraine. Feeling good. like to get in touch with Lorraine and I there are plenty of ways that you can do it why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram we always enjoy hearing from you our lovely listeners and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can and you can also join us on our private Facebook group which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. So here we are, not at the end of the show, at a very exciting part of the show that I hope everyone stays to listen to. We're at Nostalgia Noodle, where we dip back into the Gen X history. And uh, on my little jaunt to the telly studios this week, I was just getting out the car and there was a woman in front of me running up the street. Um, she was a bit late. Uh-huh. And she had these gorgeous little pixie boots on. And I thought, pixie wow, boots. pixie boots uh-huh. back from the 90s, I think. 90s, 80s, 80s, 90s. And then I had a little look at the, the fashions, as I call them. Pixie boots everywhere, Trish. And I was thinking I must get some. So I had a little Google and I was about to buy some, but I couldn't find them in exactly the right size for me. But I found a little green suede pair. And I thought, these little pixie boots... But you know why you, you're not going to be able to wear those? Pointy toes. We can't do pointy toes. No, Trish, I can't. You're absolutely right. I can't. We've talked about bunions. With your little arthritic feet and bunions. I was thinking about pixie boots too, because I remember my sister had, they were kind of flat, weren't they? With a slightly little um, crumpledy sort of ankle bit. Yes. What do you call that? Yes. A slouchy. A slouch. Slouchy. A slouch. Rooshy. And she had a bright, like, aqua blue fabric pair. And they tended to be bright red, white, bright blue. Primary. Not very flattering. Might wear them with a knee-length leather skirt and a, and a patterned tight. Funny old look. Problem for us because of our height to leg to body ratio, e.g. we're five foot two. Yeah. Yes, not going to work. And you know what you had to have with a pair of pixie boots, don't you? It was obligatory. Perm. In the 80s. A perm. <laughs> Anna Winter won't be wearing pixie boots this season. She will not, no, and they won't go with my neoprene over-the-ear swimming hat. Right, it's a wrap. 
it's over, it's done. I've loved this episode. Sexy chat, loneliness chat, pixie boots. I think we're going to break the internet. I'm sure we're going to get into trouble some way or another with this one. Yeah, it's going to happen. Thank you all for listening and staying tuned till the end. And we'll see you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.